Well, good morning, church. So good to be back. I missed you all last weekend. Uh, The men and I had a great time up at Covenant Point. Uh, I'd like to report, unfortunately, we did not win the broomball tournament this year. (sighs) There's always next year. But we did set the record for most men ever from one church to come to Covenant Point in the men's retreat history. Uh, So I'm pretty excited about that. We had a great time. It's always good to get away. I want to thank uh, the wives and mothers for letting your men get away for a weekend. And, you know, it's important to build these bonds. It's important to have this glue uh, that keeps us together as we journey together uh, in this walk with Jesus. And uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about retreats uh, is the chance to have uh, longer and more interesting conversations than we might be able to have on a Sunday morning. Uh, And so on Saturday night, there was a few of us uh, hanging out around a table And we got into a discussion about the theology of the book of Romans. Now, other people chose maybe to do more interesting activities. There was, you know, foosball and rook were going on as well. Uh, But about six or seven of us were hanging out at a table talking about Romans. And uh, Romans 7 came up, and there was a debate about what this passage means. I'd like to bring it up. I'm going to bring you into the men's retreat. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Now, the debate about this passage is, is Paul talking about himself as a believer, or is he talking about himself before he became a believer? And so we are wrestling with that, you know, does this describe the Christian life? And uh, for myself personally, well, before I get to that, I'm not going to tell you what I think at first. Because, I mean, this doesn't, that, can we put that verse back up on the screen? Because this doesn't, does this really sound like the Apostle Paul who tells, who tells others, follow me like I follow Christ? Who says to live is Christ, to die is gain? Who says he disciplines himself like a runner in order to win the prize? So we wonder, does this really sound like Paul? But also we wonder, gosh, does this not also sometimes, don't we relate to this experience a little bit? Or a lot of bit sometimes. And so, of course, scholars are divided, uh, almost 50-50. Now, I will tell you what I think. Personally, I take the view that Paul is talking about his life before Christ under the law. But whatever conclusion you come to, I think in no way should we normalize bondage to sin in the Christian life. Doug Moo from Wheaton, he says, we need to avoid what I think what all interpreters would agree is a misuse of the text, using it to justify sin or stagnation in the Christian life. Because Paul, Paul says in Romans 6 too, we are those who have died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? And in Romans 8, the chapter after, he says, if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So the Bible teaches we're dead to sin, we're alive in Christ. By his spirit, we put sin to death in order that we may live. And you're thinking, Pastor Nate, why are you in Romans right now? I thought we're in the Gospel of John. Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. Because this passage in John 8, Jesus gives us the Gospel of freedom. The Gospel of freedom. Jesus came to set us free to set you free from your bondage to sin. 
Now, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles if you'd like to follow along. We're in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. And it says, to the Jews who had believed him. Notice this message, who this message is to. To those who were believing Jesus. So I think they might have special relevance for us who say we believe in Jesus too. And Jesus says to these believers, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. I mean, this is such good news. If Jesus gave this sermon, wouldn't you expect revival to break out? Let me walk down the altar, Lord. I want to be free. I want to know the truth. But that's not what happens. By the end of this passage, the people are calling Jesus demon-possessed and they want to kill him. Why? Why such hostility towards Christ? I believe it's because they were believing hidden lies that kept them in bondage. They were believing some hidden lies that kept, that kept them in bondage, that kept them from seeing reality and kept them from seeing Jesus for who he is. So this morning, I want to look at what, what are the lies that we believe that keep us in bondage that we may not be aware of. We're going to discuss three today. And uh, I've taken a little liberty to phrase them in ways that I think that we might believe these lies today ourselves. So the first lie, that, the hidden lie that I think we believe is, is this, I, that I'm free when I do whatever I want. We believe the lie that I'm most free when I do what I please, when I do what I want. Now, in verse 33, it says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? When Jesus tells them that they can be set free, they kind of take it as a personal attack. They get defensive. Or they don't understand, why, why are you saying that we should be set free? We've had, we've had no earthly master. Do you mean to say, Jesus, that we're in bondage somehow? Jesus implies that they are not free. Well, how? Well, the reality is we all live for something. There's something in all of us that drives us, that motivates us to do what we do. Some people live for power. Some are living for sex and pleasure. Some are living for approval from others. Some are living for their work, for money, status, or, or possessions. And some people may think, well, I have no unhealthy motivations. I just do what I want. Not realizing like a slave, they obey their own desires. And some might respond like these believers did. Well, I'm not enslaved to anything. I've always been a Christian. I've always gone to church. How can you insinuate that I could be in bondage? And to this, Jesus confronts us with the truth. And he uses that in the Greek, it's amen, amen. It's, it's in English, very, I truly, I tell you, this is, this is so important, you need to hear this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. If you obey sin's desires, sin is your master. And sin wants to be your master. Sin seeks to enslave you and rule over you and guide your every decision and impulse. And it's an invisible force, but it's, it's a powerful force that wants to hold you down. Just like the invisible force, gravity, that's holding you to your chair right now, that is what sin does. I mean, God told Cain all the way back in chapter, Genesis chapter 4, sin's crouching at your door. It desires to have you, 
but you must rule over it. So Jesus has to tell us this truth because we so easily deceive ourselves and rationalize and justify all of our behaviors with all kinds of reasons. We say, well, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not as bad as those people. I go to church. I mean, it's okay to indulge a little, isn't it? Did God really say that I mustn't do X or Y? Which is precisely the thing that Satan says to Eve in the garden. Did God really say you must not eat of the tree? Jesus says, those who sin are obeying sin as a master. They're enslaved. And I think Paul helps us once again, Romans 6. He says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul is saying, kind of like Jesus said about money, you're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve God. You're going to, which master will you have? And this is the spiritual irony. We are free, we become free when we submit to Jesus as Lord, as master of your life. Now, there may be parts of our hearts that though we reject this offer of freedom because we believe the lie that it's simply better to do what I want, that I am free when I do what I want. But friends, this is not true. It is not true. Now, my son Levi is two. He is constantly doing things that are an endangerment to his own life and to all of our possessions. <laughs> his nickname lovingly is Bam Bam. If that gives you any idea of the kind of destruction he wreaks in our house on a nearly daily basis. And I have to restrain him constantly and put all kinds of restrictions. No, don't climb on the counter. No, you can't get on the table. No, you can't take our glass vase in your hands. Now, Levi could accuse me of being a tyrant, being a mean father that won't let him do what he wants to do. But actually, if he listens to my word, he will find freedom to keep playing. He'll find freedom from pain. He'll find freedom from brokenness, literally. <laughs> he has to listen to his father's word. Now, but people do this with, with God all the time. God tells us no for certain things. He commands us to live in certain ways, but they accuse God of being a restrictive God, that he is unnecessarily restricting their freedom, and that they think God possibly couldn't care about them and love them if he tells them no. But this is believing the lie that freedom is doing what I want. Real freedom is living under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's real freedom. You have to open up your eyes to that truth. And God does let us choose. We can either offer ourselves as slaves to sin or offer ourselves as slaves to righteousness. One is bondage, the other is freedom. Freedom is not doing what we want. Freedom is doing what God wants for us. As, don't we pray that in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, your will, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's freedom. That's freedom. 
The second lie that I think we might hiddenly believe, secretly believe, is that freedom isn't possible. We just believe it's not possible. We often believe we are destined to be stuck in sin our whole Christian life long. But Jesus came to set you free. I mean, if we say that freedom is not possible, if we say that we'll always be stuck in our sin, we're confessing perpetual slavery to a master that's not God. But friends, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And indeed means really, in reality, truly, you will be free. That's a gospel promise. And Jesus is freedom it's not an ineffective freedom. It's an effective freedom. When, when Jesus sets you free, yes, he gives you a new status. You, you, you have a new status in God. You're in God's household. But it's not just a change in status. It's a change in your freedom. It liberates you. John puts it this way in 1 John chapter 3. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus wants to destroy Satan's work of, of sin and death. That's what he came to do. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Now, what I hear this passage saying is that freedom is not only possible, it's actually the inevitable consequences of truly being born again. If the Holy Spirit of God is in us, sanctifying us our whole life long, we should be set free from Satan's bondage to sin. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Sin will not rule over you or win any longer. In Christ, brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. In Christ, you are now free from sin's power. You are free from its condemnation. You are free from the lies of the enemy. You are free from hell and judgment. You are free from the ways that sin destroys yourself, your soul, and your body, and our relationships. You are free from sin's ultimate consequence of death because in Christ you have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, you are free in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, unfortunately, I think some of the things that we, we hear in church send us the message that we're not free. They send, the, they send the wrong message that we're not free, that we can't ever be free. Sometimes I fear that we, we trivialize sin because, yes, we, we, do, we do all sin. We don't, we don't want to have anyone fear that we can't be transparent about our sin, but we also don't want to normalize the presence of ongoing sin in our lives. Jesus came to set us free from that. Sin is not something we just need forgiveness for. It's something you need to be set free from. We need to repent of it. Sometimes the church sends the message that you'll never win the battle. Now, I remember as a teenager reading the book, Every Man's Battle. Every Man's Battle. It was saying that all men are destined to and will struggle with lust. 
Sheila Gregoire, I think that's how you say her name, in her book, The Great Sex Rescue, which by the way, if you need better evangelical teaching about sex, you should go buy that book right now. It's great. And she says, actually, that studies show that the majority of Christian men are not enslaved to lust, and most men can get free and do get free from pornography. The truth is, you don't have to be in bondage forever. You don't have to battle every day and lose. You can get free in the name of Jesus. Stop believing the lie that freedom is not possible. We have to stop normalizing the lie that sin will be the dominant feature of our Christian life. No, the dominant feature should be victory in Jesus' name. Forgiveness without freedom is not the gospel. It's a reduction of the gospel. You know, when I was in Israel, I'll never forget talking to a Jewish rabbi. And he, and he, we're talk, he's not a believer in Jesus. We were talking about Jesus. And he said to me, I don't get why you Christians are always talking about forgiveness all the time. We have forgiveness in the Old Testament. Have you read Psalm 51? Have you read the Psalms? I was okay, my wheels started turning. And I had, I had to really go on a theological journey. That, me- that messed me up when I talked to the Jewish rabbi. We have to realize that Jesus, he could have been crucified on the Day of Atonement. You know that day when Israel's sins were forgiven by all the sacrifices? But when was he crucified? On Passover. On Passover. On the day, the celebration that marks the freedom of God's people into the promised land. Jesus is sending the message that what I am doing in my death and resurrection is setting you free to live a new life. We have to recover that the gospel is Jesus came to set us free. Free from the lies, free from Satan, free from sin's power, condemnation, death, and hell. In Jesus, we are free. That's the gospel. Finally, one more lie I want to talk about is that often we, I don't think we would actually confess this, but we, we, we sometimes believe our religious heritage will save us. Now, sometimes people hear this message like they did in this passage, and they, they hear the message of freedom, and they kind of respond, well, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need freedom. Jesus is offering freedom. The people are saying, well, we don't need that. We're good. We're, we're Abraham's descendants. God is our father. And Jesus' response is essentially, well, you don't act like it. Children should look like the parents, and you don't look anything like Abraham, who welcomed the divine messengers when they came to him, and yet you don't welcome me. You should look like Abraham if you claim to be Abraham's descendants. Is it possible that God is offering you freedom, but you are rejecting it because of your religious heritage or upbringing? Do we say to ourselves, I'm good, I go to church, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not really looking for, for radical freedom. I'm kind of good where I am. You know, sometimes I think we can use God and we can use the church like a drug. We can use, we can use God like a, like a drug. Like, I don't want to change what's causing my problems. I don't want to change the sin in my life, but just give me a pill to make me feel better. I don't want to feel guilty anymore. I just want to feel better about my life. I want to feel more comfortable. I want to know God loves me and then go back to my normal life. Sometimes we treat God like that. 
You want, sometimes we want, we want God, you want, you want me, you want the church just to make you feel better. But if you aren't careful, you can let the church, you can let your Christian life keep you comfortably in bondage. We get reminded, thank God, of his forgiveness. But we're not told to go be free, so we go right back to doing. We feel better, now we go right back to our bondage. We want our guilt to go away, but we don't want the cure. Because that means repentance. Changing our mind, changing our habits, changing our lives. It means transformation. But brothers and sisters, I believe better things about us. That's not what this church is going to be. That's not who we are. We preach and teach for transformation. We teach that Jesus came to set you free, that new life and freedom is possible. Can someone say an amen to that? Yes, we want to receive God's grace and forgiveness, but we also want to send you back out in freedom to go be the church, to make disciples. So the bottom line, the bottom line is freedom is not found by doing whatever I want, but by making Jesus the master of my life. Freedom is not impossible, but it's possible and even inevitable through the power of Jesus who sets us free. And it's not our religious background that frees us, but we walk in freedom with Jesus Christ. So if, if we're struggling with something, which we all are, how do we get free? How do we get free? Jesus says to those who believe him, if you continue in my word, that, can, that word continue is abide, dwell, dwell in. If you remain in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is similar, I think, to what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. If you build my life, if you build your life, on my teaching, on my word. Your life, will your life will survive anything. It'll survive the final judgment. It'll survive whatever Satan throws your way because your life is built on the word of Jesus Christ. But sometimes in, the, in this process of building our lives on Jesus, we discover that we are still yet in bondage to something. And that is the tension that we must hold, that yes, we are free from sin's bondage, but we do still fight it. We do still battle it. We still are called to put it to death. So yes, we confess that we are sinners, but yes, we should confess at the same time we are in the process of getting free. We are in the process of getting free. That's the tension we hold. And in this season of Lent especially, we are invited to take steps, even small steps, to get free. I think Lenz calls the same as Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything. Throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles. So I just want to ask you as I close, in your walk with God, in your walk with Jesus, what's hindering your freedom? What's, what's the sin that's so easily tripping you up, entangling you right now? What does Jesus want to set you free from? As we go through the rest of the service, as we listen to the choir, as we take communion, I just invite you to take that before the Lord. But may I just invite you to not simply just ask for forgiveness, but to ask for freedom. That's the whole gospel. Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me, but Lord, set me free. I want to walk free with you. That's our prayer. And friends, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Amen.